Hey everyone, welcome to episode number four of Musicians for Mental Health. On this podcast, we speak with musicians about mental health openly and honestly, without the veil of lyrics. We are not mental health professionals, we are not licensed therapists or counselors. We are people that have had our own personal experiences with mental health and want to share some light on these topics. On this episode, I talk with Andrew Brittingham, who, if you've listened to my You Make the Scene podcast, you might recognize his name. He has a musical project called Boy Becomes Hero, in which he actually works a lot with To Write Love on Her Arms and donates a lot of, I say a lot of, almost all of the money that he makes off his music gets donated back to uh, different charities and mental health organizations specifically. So uh, highly recommend you go check him out on that side of things as well. But in this episode, Andrew and I caught up a little bit at the beginning Um, which I've cut out a big portion of that because we hadn't talked in a while and he hadn't heard my COVID story. So we talked about that. Uh, But the cool thing about Andrew is he and I have made such an awesome connection from the jump. Literally, from the very first time that we talked, this dude is someone that I would consider a friend and I think he would consider me a friend as well. Um So it was important to me to have this conversation with him as well and invite him onto this show uh, to discuss the core topic. You know, as always with these episodes, we're talking about mental health in general, but each artist has kind of a, a specialization of sorts or a topic that we dive into a little more deeply to really open up conversations and with Andrew we talked about manic mental health Um, so this can be kind of like manic depressive disorder it can be manic bipolar things like that Uh, but for Andrew and even a little bit for myself it's about going through life and having these manic moments where you know, the darkness gets crazy heavy when it's heavy, but the the good times are crazy good, too. Um, and through this conversation with Andrew, I obviously learned a lot about his background, uh, his upbringing and things like that. We shared a lot of similar views um, when it comes to religion and things of that nature. And I do want to preface our conversation with a little bit of a trigger warning uh, and a just general disclaimer, you know, Andrew and I did talk about religion to some extent uh, and our views on it, and our views are not going to be everyone else's views, and we understand that. Uh, I just ask that you listen to these, you know, perspectives uh, with open ears and an open mind and you know, for us, we both went through less than great experiences involving religion and church. Uh, So that played a factor in 
kind of our upbringing and just our views on a lot of stuff. But we also talked a lot about uh, addiction and coping mechanisms and things like that, too. So this conversation, I really want you guys to kind of really tune into. Um, instead of letting this play in the background, I want you to focus on the conversation that Andrew and I have because I think it is so important for people to understand this perspective and understand that, you know, very often people say to those that experience mental health troubles that they need to turn to religion. And sometimes that's not the answer. Um, so please, you know, really listen to this conversation and I hope you guys get something out of it. You know, I know for myself coming off of this conversation, it definitely uh, gave me a sense of closure to certain things and also allowed me to kind of reframe my mind around a few things, which was really refreshing. Um, as always, I definitely want to thank Andrew for taking the time to do this conversation um, and for being so open and honest with us. You know, these conversations only get better the more open and honest we are. And I think through the conversations that we have on this podcast, I hope that it is transferring to people's lives where they feel a little more comfort in having the conversation or maybe we can help you find the right words to use when you're trying to have this conversation um and you know maybe through these podcast episodes you'll be able to get a better focus on what your mental health state is and the direction that you need to go to um to improve it or to have those around you understand it better. For now, let's jump into my conversation with Andrew Brittingham of Boy Becomes Hero talking about manic mental health. Let's dive in. Let's do the, uh, the kind of standard opening. Um, so what I'll have you do is I'll have you introduce yourself either as your stage name or your real name, however you want to do that. Um, yeah. Basically, I think I told you kind of the podcast, you know, we're doing this um, without the veil of lyrics is the way that I've been pitching it to a lot of PR teams and whatnot, because like, you know, so often artists are able to talk about mental health, um, but behind the curtain of metaphors and, and all that, mm -hmm. whereas I would like these to be more of that kind of out in the open, you know, we're not going to make up a, a cute little uh, you know, verse for it. It's, this is what I've been through, whatever. Um, yeah. so yeah, let's go ahead and, uh, introduce the, yourself to the people and, um, just, yeah, kind of, um, cool. where you're at, you know, in your headspace and we'll, you know, we'll touch on your music and stuff as well, because it is, especially yours is very important to the yeah. mental health arena. Cool. Yeah. And I think too, like, I know, um, I don't know if you kind of want to dive into like me kind of sharing stories with like battles with mental health and stuff like that yeah, too. Sure. So I can certainly do that and be able to relate it yeah. to like what the last album was really kind of about too. And some of the lyrics, like you're saying, if that, if that's fitting, then I can do that yeah. for sure. 
Absolutely. You know, I, I've been telling, so you're my third actual interview and then I've got like three others lined up already. Um, cool. Basically with it, you know, as open as, as you're able and comfortable to be, because I think, you know, I've, I've said this a lot that the more like mental health is not a comfortable topic, right? Like, right. The conversations are going to be uncomfortable for a lot of people to have, especially your quote unquote everyday people. Um, but I think the more we hear others talk about our, their struggles and whatnot, it becomes yeah. easier because you can see the right phrasing or that somebody else has been through and experienced similar objectives. Exactly. Yep. I agree, cool, man. Cool. All right. Okay. So let's dive in. Let's do the, uh, let you do the introduction, um, kind of okay. tell people who you are and, and what's going on. Yeah, so I'm Andrew Brittingham. I'm the main artist and creator of Boy Becomes Hero. I do the all the instrumentation and majority of the vocals outside of a bunch of the really cool guys that I get to have um, um, do some features and play different characters on the concept albums. Awesome, man. Um, so for people that are tuning into this, um, basically, you know, Andrew and I have known each other now for, I say known each other, We've we've talked a couple times. Um, yeah, I think there's a friendship definitely forming. Um, but I agree. you know, we've known each other for almost a year now. I think it's been um, yeah. since we've really kind of started all this. So, you know, through just Instagram and Facebook and social media, um, we've kind of seen each other's journey of recent. Uh, mm -hmm. But I want you to kind of jump into. Obviously, music's always been huge for you and and a coping mechanism um so dive into a little bit of like your your history on mental health and how that morphed into the music career yeah so the kind of the start of it was really um figuring out that i'm an alcoholic that i, that I have a huge problem with alcoholism um i don't wasn't really necessarily turning to alcohol because of any specific mental health reason um, that I've still been able to figure out to this day. Um, right. It was just a, it was just like a part of my routine. It was just daily, you know, I would get done with work at seven, I'd go to the liquor store and I'd drink anywhere from, you know, a half pint to a fifth, you know, within an hour. And uh, I would try to play music and stuff like that. And that's kind of what I associated music with was drinking. A lot of people that I played with in college and stuff, like it seemed like the more they drank, the better they were. Um, right. So I started to associate that with it and being in a band way back in high school, um, getting close to getting signed and playing with huge bands. Like, I mean, it was every concert that I went to after my band broke up. It just was, you know, I always had that feeling that like, gosh, well, I should be up there. You know, I would go see bands like Icy Stars, We Came as Romans, um, Amorosa, Skites Airplane, people that I played with that I was like, gosh, I should be up there. And I would just drink like crazy. I'd black out. I'd get hurt or you know, not know how I got home. And then, you know, it just really turned into that was just my daily basis was just blackout. Um, yeah. So when I started to, you know, dive into my sobriety, which was really, really abrupt, because um, it was put on by a court program, I got a second DUI, and I had to join a court program. And my wife now, she was my fiance at the time, like we, she, you know, we, we pushed our wedding back, I thought I was going to lose her, um, thought I was going to lose my career. I was already working at a, at a gym, at an anytime fitness like I own now. And uh, 
it was a lot. And I thought that, you know, maybe with some of the now non-drinking time that I would have, that maybe it would be appropriate to start playing music. And every time I went to touch an instrument, it felt like my body was like gearing up to drink. And I would like, seriously, like I was like, like feeling like I was going to like throw up, like gearing up for that first shot or that pull. And uh, yeah, I just had to kind of teach myself like, Hey, like, okay, music's not for me right now. Like hopefully I can come back to it one day. And I was able to like at my, at my one year anniversary, I sat down and started writing the first song off of Reverie, the debut album. And I mean, that just quickly turned into two, turned into three, turned into four, turned into 10, turned into working with Chris Crummett and, and a bunch of the other guys like you've heard. And um, it just became something that I felt like I wasn't willing to not share my story with everybody else. Um, Cause I think that happens too often in the realm of addiction. A lot of people, use like I did they use it when they're also doing their passions and then when they try to get sober they go back to you know like I tried to back to music and um, it doesn't work it makes them want to use again and if you if you can't abstain from some of your passions for that period of time too then you may end up using again Um, I've got a great great friend I mean gosh we I mean we grew up together um best friends since we were three and he is um he got addicted to heroin he kind of followed the whole Kurt Cobain path like he just really like glorified drug use and and music and because of it neither one of them got to go anywhere he didn't get to go anywhere and his music didn't get to go anywhere and and he you know he really struggles with a lot more today and and he was one of my major reasons like I you know every time I would go back to Maryland and spend time with him we'd play music together and, uh, and I mean, he wasn't using when I was with him, like, sure, maybe we were like smoking pot or having some drinks right. or something like that, but it wasn't, neither one of us were quite at our peak of out of control when we were together. And, uh, I, I, you know, that's what kind of drew that ambition was to, I wanted him to see, I wanted him to see like, you can do this, man. Like I, you love music, like just, just yeah. put the drugs away, put the music away for a little bit, you know, close it up in a box and then open it back up when you're ready. And and, and it'll be there waiting for you. Um, yeah. And it just turned into, you know, I just felt like, okay, well, we couldn't be the only two. Um, right. And I, I don't think, you know, we mentioned it kind of before starting this. It, this is something that there's not enough of a conversation happening about or people sharing their stories um, for a multitude of reasons, you know, and, and rightfully so. But the more that we can be open about it and share our stories, the more that it can help, you know, especially someone like myself heal myself as well. Right. And it certainly helps keep me accountable too. Yeah. Um, yeah I, the interesting thing that I don't think a lot of people uh, maybe take into consideration, especially with addiction, is something that you mentioned there. Um, it's it's almost a Pavlovian response, right? Like you are using, like you said, in connection with something you love to do. So then when you stop using, but you try to use again your brain says well we're supposed to be high we're supposed to drink we're supposed to do these other things when we do this and so you you kind of condition yourself that this is the environment and when I'm in this environment this is what I do so you know I think so often especially with addiction uh mental health in general but addiction you know so often people pull the you know well they chose to put the needle in their arm or they chose to pick up the bottle you're right you know to start with you're you're absolutely right but at some point and 
for many, it's quicker than, than people realize because of brain matter and whatnot. You know, there's some brains are conditioned that they are in an, an addictive state yeah. pretty much always. Um, but, but, you know, so often I think people just write off addiction as, well, that's their choice. They're choosing to do these things. But in actuality, I think there's so much of what you're talking about where it's that conditioned response. Yeah. And their body now says, in order for me to do this, I have to do that. Exactly. Yeah, it's really tough. I, and I think it's difficult for from people sometimes from an outside perspective, if they haven't experienced, you know, addiction um, themselves or or like secondhand. Um, it's hard to imagine what is really going on there. And you're right. I mean, that addictive personality doesn't leave. I mean, hence right. why, you know, I turned around and within four months, you know what I mean? was working with the people that I was working with and releasing an album that I didn't have any business releasing, you know, I'm cause I'm no, nobody knows who I am. You know what I mean? Nobody, nobody knew me in the music scene. Nobody knew my name. Um, and certainly didn't expect to see me pop up. Um, right. And that was fueled because that's my addictive personality. But if you can fuel that into something positive, then you can certainly kind of, you know, reap those rewards as well and, and heal yourself and help others heal too. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will say, as far as your comment there about, you know, nobody that you didn't have the business to be doing it. You know, I think, <laughs> I think it's that, you know, especially starting out and, you know, leaping into a project as big as what you left into it, it imposter syndrome creeps in, right? Like, it's so easy yeah. to be like, well, I'm not good enough. You know, I, why am I talking about this when I, I'm not, you know, fully healed from what I'm dealing with or whatever. But I think, I think, you know, to your point, like sometimes these things, this podcast, your music, so many things speaking to, to schools or even you being, you know, owning the gym and, and working with people there, like those are also steps that are helping not only others identify and heal, but they're helping you identify and heal as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Like you're saying too, I mean, that's the, the gym is a big thing. You know I mean? We, the, our entire business is really just based on like providing a positive experience for people um, because, you know, it's hard enough for people to just walk through the doors of the gym as it is, you know, and if they don't have a positive support system walking in, it's just some bro that's like, what's up, dude? Like, here's the gym. Good luck. Hope you can figure it all out. You know, it's not, that's not a positive experience. And, you know, I get to meet a lot of people too, who are struggling with, you know, like we mentioned, fitness is not just weight loss. It's so many different things for people. It's about a, a higher quality of life. And, and for some people, that means getting away from a lot of things that they shouldn't be doing, whether that addiction could be an unhealthy relationship with food, maybe it is drugs, maybe it's alcohol, um, what, whatever it is, you know, there's a lot of positivity that way too. And I get to meet and, and help a lot of other people grow and they get, they get to help me grow in turn as well. So it's really cool. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, to your point with when people walk into the gym, you know, like I think gyms already have a kind of negative stereotype in our minds because of Hollywood, you know, there's so many TV shows and movies where, the bully comes from the gym like that's just what we associate Mm -hmm. but you know there are there are a ton of positive people there so I don't want to speak illy of it as a whole but you know you're you're right you know walking in especially 
as a first timer and maybe you don't have that workout buddy or something like that, like to walk into a gym, it's intimidating. Do you know how to use the machine correctly? What machines should I be using? How do I do these things and know where my limits are? You know, like there's a lot that goes into that. And I think it ties into mental health as well with those same factors, right? Like I, I personally struggle and I know you do too with depression and anxiety and Mm -hmm. like, trying to to figure out like okay how far can i go in this direction before i have to stop because i'm going to get myself too deep or you know what what tactics can i use to pull myself out of those situations it's very right. similar to physical health where you know we don't have to get super in depth on my covid experience but you know i was hospitalized with covid you know right. the story um i've still got some nerve damage in in my leg and so I've got a little bit of drop foot and stuff. So now it's like, okay, what exercises can I do? You know, what, how do mm-hmm. I change this? What can I do to, to try to awaken these nerves that are damaged? And it's, it's intimidating. It's a little bit frightening sometimes sitting there going, what if my leg just gives out on me when I'm trying to do something, you know, like, right. luckily there's people around, you know, somebody can come over, but at the same time, like you have that that fear in the back of your mind. So then you start holding back. Right. Exactly. And that's what we do is like, no matter who, who the person is, like what their prior experience is with fitness, whether they've never had an experience or maybe they've even had a bad experience at a gym before. Um, we, we help everybody with the program getting started. So we make sure like, it's not just a tutorial of how to use the machines. It's like, Hey, we're going to assess how your body moves and talk about your current lifestyle and what you want to accomplish. And start to build a program off of that um, and help yeah. people understand like what, what fitness can really mean outside of it just being like for bodybuilding or for like a body composition change and things like that. Cause so many people are like, you know, yourself, like where you're dealing with an issue right now, that's, that's not crazy common, you know, and right. it's not the first thing that some, that everybody may say, but there's definitely some things to avoid with it and some things to, to maybe do that could be better too, you know, just for, even safety reasons, but for your overall health too. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, tying it back into mental health, like we talked a little bit before the the start of this episode, um, you know, getting those endorphins and stuff, it, the, the joke I told you, like, I know that I need to go to the gym so that I have more energy, but I don't have the energy to go to the gym all the time. And, you know, I think that's where a lot of people's mentality is, is that, well, I can't go to the gym for an hour and a half every day. You don't have to, to start with, you know? Yeah. You don't need Um, that. Yeah. 30 minutes of activity per day, an hour at the gym, three days a week, you know, whatever you can fit into your, we discussed that too. We'll, we'll definitely dive into that. Whatever you fit into your schedule. uh, Yeah. Really. I mean, at some point you have to identify it and make sure that, you know, like, this is actually a priority for me. So it's, it's on the schedule period and other things yeah. can work around it. Yeah. Well, actually I will tell people like, I mean, and I think that's a big part, like not only just a fitness, but for mental health as a whole, right. Is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's that, that issue of procrastination and where technology has come for us today. We want such instant gratification. And I mean, I will tell people like, cause we'll have, we have a, we're really like a coaching facility. We have, you know, like, of our members are actually like training clients as well. And um, I mean, we'll have people that will like cancel a session and they'll be like, oh, well, something came up, 
you know, and we're like, what, what happened? They're like, oh, well, like my, my mom and dad wanted to go out to dinner or something like that, you know, or, yeah. you know, it's like, well, could that have been rescheduled? And like, we'll encourage people like, you know, in the future, tell people you have an appointment. You wouldn't tell people that you had a doctor's off, you know, a doctor's appointment necessarily. You don't have to right. be completely transparent with what it is, but this is for your health. You know, like, like let people know, Hey, I've already got an appointment at that time yeah. how does an hour later work or something like that too and you know that's the same thing with with a lot of issues in the mental health realm too is you know figuring out good time management as well as like laying procrastination aside and, and it's really difficult when you're struggling already with things like anxiety and depression as well you know once you're in that hole it's really hard to get out of the, the comfort of that yeah and you know that's something that i think you and i can talk about on pretty well is setting that boundary, right? Like, okay, so for me, you know, I know for a fact with the way that my my brain works, if I start to get in one of my depressive episodes, the first thing I do, and it's not the healthiest thing, is I go put on my emo playlist <laughs> and I listen to sad shit. Yep. And, you know, it, it's kind of twofold. A lot of friends ha have told me like, man, all the music you listen to is so depressing. It's so sad. It, you know, people kill themselves to these songs, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, but there's a lot of people that relate to these songs and don't kill themselves because yeah. now they're not alone. And so, you know, like, I know that I do that. So now what I've been doing over the last probably about a year or two um, is I set myself a time limit. Cool. I'm, I'm in this headspace. I'm going to play sad emo shit for an hour and then I'm going to move on and do something else because I can't let myself, you know, for myself or for my friends be stuck in this hole any longer than I need to be. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's brilliant. That's, I mean, yeah, you do. You have to set those boundaries. Like that's that time management. Like I'm talking about, like we have to be very cognizant and aware of like what we're putting our time towards and and your friends are right to an extent you know what i mean like yeah there right. are some sometimes that music can make us more sad but at another time a lot of people are healing to that as well so it's yeah it's it's different for everybody yeah absolutely and i think you know with the time management kind of that that link between mental and physical health is even if you're not going to the gym for the physical side of it set aside a half hour a day before work, after work, right before bed, whatever. And it doesn't have to be the cheesy type of meditation, but meditate, like yeah, chill out, center yourself, let go of whatever was heavy that day, you know, and, and really allow yourself to reset for that day. Um, because I think so often, and I'm guilty of it as well, and I'm sure you are, and it's much easier said than done, but so often we carry the previous day's burdens onto the next day and Absolutely. then that just compounds throughout the week and at some point you bottle up and or you know the bottle overflows and you're sitting there going well i just have way too much to deal with well but if you would have addressed it in a timely manner would you still feel that way right yeah yeah the, that that pressure might be lessened certainly yeah, yeah. That's, you know, a, a really huge thing for me. I mean, I've, I've struggled with anxiety my entire life. I think like the first panic attack I ever had, I was like seven or eight. It was like, I, 
I woke up from a, from a dream and I was just crying, sobbing, like in my parents' bed. And it was crazy. Like, I remember my dad, like splashing cold water in my face and it was like almost like inadvertently waterboarding me at the same time. Right. I'm already like having a panic attack. And, and it was the, the dream was so strange. It was, um, and I, and it became reoccurring. It was like, I was like walking through a wooded area and there was just a podium there with a button on it. And like, nothing told me you know, what this was supposed to do, but there was just this like impending feeling of like impending doom. And it was just like that the world was going to end. And, and then I had to hit this button for the world to yeah. not end. And I would just could not hit that button fast enough. And I would just wake up and in this anxiety and it carried with me like into my wake life then too. And now, you know, I, I have a deep fear and anxiety over death. Um, the thoughts of, especially with like my religious background and and not really being there today and just trying to focus on myself and my community and treating the people the way that they should. Um, it's a battle. Like the thought of there being potentially nothing after we die, you know, is, is scary or, or living and not remembering why um, is, is a terrifying thought. Um, and that's yeah. something that, that up until really last year, I was, I was not able to subside. And I mean, I still, ha I still struggle with anxiety sometimes, but it's not as much like I used to be able to lay there in bed at night and I would just, boom, I would throw myself into a panic attack thinking about like, I'd hear a plane going overhead and I would be like, what if it falls through the house? And right. like, there's nothing I can do about it. Like, I'm not a superhero. I can't just like fly away or like, boom, like stop this plane. And I mean, I would have to get up and like freak out and like scream, like go, go, just go like sit in the bathroom with the light on and just take some deep breaths. And I mean, I finally one night, it, my anxiety started getting so bad that I was like visualizing me on my deathbed and, and having another panic attack there. Yeah. And, and my only thought being able to be how much time, like I wasted my entire life worrying about this moment. And it yeah. really just like snapped for me at that point. And I just have been able to kind of like keep the sheets pulled over it. Um, since then, it's still there for sure. I know it is. And it's going to hit me one day really hard. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the but the past year, I mean, even like through quarantine as well, I mean, I, I was really fortunate. I mean, I think that there's a lot of other people that, that struggled a lot more than I did. And, and I would have too, if I hadn't been working on myself as, as hard as I have been and didn't have the support system that I have. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I definitely understand what you're talking about there. So um, for listeners that don't know my, my story, we're not going to tell the whole story because it takes some time, but you know, uh, I got affected by COVID earlier this year and ended up being lifeline to a hospital was in basically a medically induced coma for like 18 days um, where they supposedly, I, I don't remember any of it. They woke me up a few times to like, you know, make sure I could still respond to commands, like squeeze their fingers, stuff like that. But, you know, I was on super heavy paralytics and, and sedatives and I did ECMO. Uh, I had a ventilator, had a feeding tube. Like, I mean, I was, I was as close to gone as you can be. Um, when I got into the ER, I think I told you this, Andrew. Um, when I walked into the ER, I was at 5% oxygen saturation in my blood. Yeah, that's insane. Uh, yeah, it, and like no doctor that I've talked to about it believes, like they believe that I walked in, obviously, because it's on the chart that I walked in. But right. Like, 
scientifically and medically speaking, they're like, that shouldn't be possible. Like most people pass out at like 70% or less oxygen in their blood. And I was at 5%. Yeah. I walked in, I was coherent enough to check myself in, did everything I needed to do, you know, and they're like, this doesn't make any sense. But, you know, to your point with this, like, since coming through the other side of that, um, I've had like these bouts of like existential crisis to some extent, you know, where I was that close to death. Why did I make it? You know, what's mm -hmm. the purpose for me making it? what you know why was i that close to death in the first place you know like just yeah. this this battle within myself and i think it's you know similar to what you're saying where like when we talked a year ago i told you wasn't scared of the virus still not scared of the virus like right it is what it is and it's a weird melancholy i guess that i have after it you know like I'm still just not afraid of it. Like if I get it again, I get it again. It is what it is. That's what's supposed to happen, I guess. Uh, but at the same time, I think, you know, what people don't take into consideration is um, the, the headspace that you go in, whether it was through COVID or not, like yours was obviously well before COVID was ever a thing. Yeah. The, the headspace you go into when you start questioning your existence is a really fucking dark place. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so fun fact, not fun fact, but interesting <laughs> fact. Uh, you know, you said that your first battle was you know around seven years old with with anxiety. Um, according to NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Health um, or Mental Illness, uh, seventeen percent of youth six to seventeen years old experience a mental health disorder yeah 17 sure. percent of kids all the way down to age six you know and i'm surprised it, it's not it higher. blows my mind right yeah I'm, I'm surprised that percentage isn't higher um but you know i i think i don't remember if we talked about it back then or not uh one of the like super scary stats around mental health and suicide for me is that suicide is the second leading cause of death in the age bracket from 10 to 34 that yeah. 10, 10 year olds are committing suicide like and as a society we haven't stepped up and went hey this isn't fucking okay like we have to do yeah. something about this it just doesn't make sense and uh, you know I, I just talked to her episode will be the episode two yours is number three um her name is sophie powers she's a 16 year old singer songwriter out of canada and we talked about loneliness and isolation in youth and how so often kids, and I think you can relate to this, you know, going back into your history. I mean, it sounds like your dad was attempting to help, but, you know, so often when it's the youth that say, hey, I'm depressed or I'm having this struggle, it gets written off that you don't know what that is. You're just having a bad day. Yeah. Well, it's especially hard to like, depending on what your support system and like your home life looks like at that age too. So like, I, I grew up in a home where my, my dad, um, when, when he was much younger, he was at, um, one of uh, my family story is really weird. Cause I was adopted by my, my grandparents at birth. Um, so one of his older son's, um, weddings, he collapsed 
and they they rushed him to the hospital and they gave him one percent chance to live he had a brain tumor um affecting his frontal lobe and they got it they got the whole thing he lived obviously and but it changed him and it changed his brain chemistry and he was um manic bipolar and i had to grow up through that um so it my feelings didn't really matter you know it was a thing where you know i would as a kid, I'd be like watching cartoons in the other room and, and he would come home from work and he was a business owner. He just put all of his time into entrepreneurship and he would come home and he would just instantly be letting my mom have it. And he'd be screaming. She, she would let out this blood curling scream that would drop me to like to the floor, like while I was in the other room and I would come out. And when I was old enough to, I'd start screaming and cussing at him and we would throw everything in the house. Everything would be broken. I mean, I remember one time I must've been six. I picked up their king size mattress and threw it at him and he fell down like both sets of stairs and like was just wild wild stuff and and then he could start at the end of it laughing and then he would cry and apologize and before you knew it you were like at Applebee's and he was like smacking the waitress's asses in front of me and my mom and it was yeah. you were like it was like a hallucination it was like you were like how like how dreams you just like snap from one yeah. thing to another and that's what my childhood was like and I never got to a ever address any of my issues um and then you know through through the rest of my teenage years it, um you know he got he got really sick again and then I lived with a family here in Michigan um a pastor's family really close friends of ours and um I still didn't get to really address you know my own issues because it was just drowned in religion you know and mm -hmm. it that didn't that did not help my mental state realistically <laughs> um if if anything it, it made it worse and it made it a lot harder um, now later in life to, to deal with a lot of the things that I deal with because there's a lot of conflict, conflicting information in, in my mind. So, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't want to bash religion. I'm not super religious myself, but, um, I think one of the big problems I have with religion when it comes to mental health, especially Christianity is so often those that are very ingrained in, in that faith just put it off on well just pray about it just you know put it put it in the lord's hands and it's like yeah you're you're ignoring the problem you're not fixing the problem and you know, that's like yeah that's exactly what i experienced get, yeah and, and you might be able to get some i feel like it would be super temporary though and i guess i don't know because i've never done it but yeah like you're you might get some like temporary relief because okay well I'm just going to put it in prayer. I'm just going to get it out of my head. And that works for that moment, but it hasn't yeah. addressed the issue. And, you know, that's something that I, I really believe where therapy and, and even conversations like this with just a friend, like those are what's going to address those issues because now I can put it out there that I have a problem with X. Right. X makes me feel this way. And then you can get that back and forth and go, well, why does X make you feel that way? What's the underlying issue? How do, you know, and deep, dig deeper versus that surface level. Well, I put it out into the sky and it's all gone. Like, you know, that's not how life works. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's, that was my experience was, you know, like I would go to some of the, not, not elders, but older people in the church, you know, and I, and I would say like, how do you how are you so positive that like heaven exists and that's what happens after death and they're like you just have to have faith i just have faith and i was like that sounds like a cop-out 
to me. Sounds yeah. like you're still freaking out in bed at night like I am too, you know, and it's, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe it's a bandaid, it's a facade and, and, and a lot of people do, do believe in that. You know what I mean? Once, like you said, like not to bash religion, but um, every, everybody views those things so much differently. It means so many different things. And um, that was, that was my exact experience with it. And it didn't, didn't make any logical sense to me at all. I'm, I'm a very, I'm very logical. I like to collect the data and understand moving forward, you know, and make the best decisions based on that. And didn't seem like a lot of data for me to collect with got to have faith. So, yeah. and, and, you know, uh, I've got a few friends that are very, very religious and they thought, you know, after my near death experience that that was going to be like the come to Jesus moment. Right. And it wasn't for me, you know, like, right. I didn't experience anything that was like, when I came to that, I'm like, Oh, I have to, you know, dig into the the Bible. I have to do this. I have to do that. It was okay. I'm here again. So what's next, you know? Um, yeah. And, you know, like, again, I'm not bashing religion, but you know, those everybody puts out, you know, thoughts and prayers and all that. And it's like, I appreciate that. I understand the sentiment and I appreciate the sentiment, but do I personally believe that you praying for me did anything? No, you know, like, right. that was, that was doctors. That was science. That was, cause I'm like you, I'm such a logical person. Mm-hmm. I have to have science and facts that say, this is why this works and this is how it does. And, you know, I'm the same as you with, I just can't believe in, well, it's just faith. You just have to, have to just believe it blindly. And I'm like, mm, but, but no, like, you know, there were some people that followed, uh, uh, what's his name? John Jones, uh, pretty blindly. And then they, they drank some Kool-Aid and they're all right. dead. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's really funny. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. I mean, that's, it's a really strange experience and it is, I mean, for some people, it's a much different life. A, a lot of people too, you know, at least in my experience, like in the church, um, yeah, there were a lot of people that came to God through negative experiences, you know, in their life, but a lot of people too were, were there and have always been there and may always be because they haven't experienced strife in their lives either. Um, and when that, when that day comes, it's going to be a hell of a lot harder to tackle for those individuals because there's nothing tangible for you to grab onto. Um, other than screaming at the sky, like you were saying, and that just doesn't, that's not going to do it for me. I, you know, uh, my, my mom, uh, she'll, she'll be 80 this year and uh, she's still very much, you know, ingrained in her faith and she's, she's getting pretty progressive with a couple of things now, like you like in, in, in how society is now. And she'll say to me things like that, you know, like, like, don't, you know, I know, I know how you feel about it, but but just pray it'll help. And I'm like, and she's like, you know, like, look at how far you've come and look at the things that you're doing like that. She's like, that's God. And I'm like, you know what, mom, I'm not ready to, to, I put in a lot of hard work for this. I'm not ready to, to give aside the credit. I'm do this credit. Like, like I did this, like it wasn't, I didn't just lay there every night and say, God, please let this happen to me. You know, I, I, I woke up and I hustled and I, and I, I put in the work, you know? So it's, it is. Sometimes I think it's a little bit of a different mindset, but I think it comes down to, to how do we treat other people, you know? And, right. and, and that's, that's how I am. Like, I would say that I'm a spiritual person in the sense of that. I really care and, and, and make a conscious effort, effort to enrich other people's lives, you know, that I cross paths with not bring them down 
and that's something that you would you know that that could be could have been brought on and probably is you know owed a little bit of credit to my past with religion certainly um yeah. but it's it, it's it's not to say that i have to have that relationship with god in order to treat people the right way and 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 walk a good path yeah and you know the not to to dog your mom but you know that whole thing cuz i've heard that too like well, this is all part of God's plan and, and all that. And it's like, okay, so already I don't have the blind faith of you know, right. religion. So then for me to try to say, well, this is God's plan or plan, you know, like um, that takes away free will at that point, doesn't it? You know, like, doesn't that mean right. everything's predestined? And I just, I really struggle with the thought that, that everything's predestined. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's like, a weird thought for sure. Yeah, so like, oh, this is all part of God's plan. Even if you, I guess my thing is, part of my thing with faith and, and religion is, so there's this omnipowerful being. I'm one out of a trillion people on this planet. There's no way they're focusing on me. You know what I mean? Like, right. I'm nothing. Yeah, it's I'm a hard. speck of a grain of sand on a beach. Right. And somehow you're going to say that this this being has control and impact on on me yeah well and i think people forget too i think the funny thing is um and obviously we did this whole thing doesn't have to be about religion but right um, (laughs) people forget that like that god that they pray to and believe in is a vengeful hateful motherfucker too i mean in Mm -hmm. so many stories in the bible like he's just destroying people just you yep. know cities and and things like that and it's just i mean it's like hold on a second did we forget about some of that like that was also god you know in as far as the bible goes so it's right it's very confusing you know to kind of work your way through some of that yeah no and you know i've i've had that debate with uh with people as well um you know because they the to me the cop-out answer is a lot of them say well that's old testament that's before Jesus. Right. That's before all this. You're right. The way the Bible's written, you're absolutely right. But the the one that I trip people up with is like they try to justify so many of them, like Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, they were told not to look back, and they did. They were told not to, you know, not to have sex with the same sex, and they did. Things right. like that. And it's like, okay, cool, like fine. He put out a rule. They they didn't listen to it. Fine. You're gonna go with the punishment method. Elisha and the bears doesn't make any fucking logical sense. So that story is the one where Elisha has gone to this village and was trying to basically preach and and whatnot, was ridiculed and basically chased out of the, the city by children. And he prayed to God and God sent bears to maul 42 fucking kids. Like, yeah, that's insane. No. <laughs> so right. I, I totally agree. And, you know, like, again, so you, we don't have to keep it on religion, but the people that say, oh, it's all part of God's plan. Okay, then God's plan involves school shootings, mass murders, the Twin Towers, every right. war that's ever happened. Like, that's all part of God's plan. And you can't have one. You can't, can't cherry pick it. It can't just right. be the positive things that are part of his plan. Exactly. Well, and I think too, I I think kind of what we're leading into as well is is that it's um, that that 
I'm more of a believer in the in like the idea of instead of like hoping that something will be done, I'm more of a, a, a person of action. You know, I, yes. I need to stand up and I, and I need to help with the things that I think need help with, like, like you and I are here to do, you know, and I, I think that that's, that's a difference too. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to say, well, I have this relationship with God and I, I wear my tie every Sunday and I, and I go to church and, and I meet him in his house, but it's like, well, but what are you doing in the rest of your time? You know what I mean? To help your community. And a lot of people are doing really positive things too, that are inside of the church. Right. But at the same time, I mean, is it, is you know, are we doing everything that we could do? You know, and I, I truly believe, you know, individuals like you and myself who, who put, who put our time and our lives into helping other people be better, um, that we wouldn't be looked at differently. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't judge other people. So, I mean, you know, someone who, who sinned every day because they knew they could turn around and ask for forgiveness. And, and I didn't do a lot of those things because I had a moral issue with them. Who's going to, who's going to get let into the gates? You know what I mean? I would hope that right. I would hope it would be the person who lived their life the right way and helped other people, as opposed to the person who, who just because they had a relationship with God, they got let in, you know, and that's kind of the conversation I have with my mom too. I'm like, you don't worry. I'm like, if, if your God is, is who you believe it to be, I'll be with you anyway. You know, it's cause I'm right. going to keep living my life this way. So, so, and you know, and, and it really yeah. kind of helped put, put her mind at ease a little bit too. It, it hasn't, it hasn't made a 100% turn for her, but it, it's definitely right. made a little bit of a turn. Well, and I think, you know, like you said, like the, the point that we kind of danced around as we talked about religion is um, what you and I are trying to do, you know, you through your music, me through the podcast, and even just our daily interactions with people is that we're trying to make a positive impact and to help individuals that may be not in their best place, whether it's their headspace, their physical condition with the gym and things like that. And we're trying to, to put positive impact within those lives Yeah. because at the end of the day, like I I'm in the same boat as you with at the end of the day, if I know that I am a good person and I did good things, that's what matters, you know? Right. Like we super morbid way to put it, but we all end up in a hole in the ground. Like, right. So it, as long as I can leave behind and I'm not doing it for the legacy or like the savior factor or, you know, that kind of gratification. But if I can leave behind a life that people can look at and be like, you know what? He, he did a lot of really good things. Yeah, that's all I want. You know, that's exactly to me. That's the goal. Yep. I agree with you. Awesome. Um, so let's jump back into the mental health part of it a little bit. Yeah. More. Um, you know, with your uh, your history, you know, like you said, a pretty interesting history as far as the way your home life was structured and things like that. Obviously, that plays a factor later in life leading into the the addiction, the alcoholism and things of that nature. Do you, at this point, looking back, think that that was a primary factor or do you think that there were, you know, just enough other environmental factors or whatever that led you there? Mm. Um, I know that got really deep. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's a really good question. It's something that that I've always tried to answer in the best way possible. Um because I, I really try to do my best, like, I think in a lot of, like, my own, like, healing for mental health to, like, 
believe that I'm hugely responsible for and empower of like making the changes to to myself and my life on on my own and and because of that you know I mean I don't like to sound like I'm a victim of circumstance by any means and I think right. that you know I, I was really fortunate to grow up like like my my dad's dad is the one who adopted me and my dad unfortunately um he used to act a lot the same way that his that that our dad did and um he you know he would scream cuss break things you know, too, like he, he yeah. repeated the, the way that he learned. And I kind of, I took the opposite. I, I learned, well, Hey, well, now I know what I don't want to do. Um, and mm-hmm. that's kind of like the approach that my, my wife and I are taking now on, um, having our son as well as, you know, I, I had some nervousness about the thoughts of having a kid because I was like, well, I don't know what a healthy home life looks like. And right. my, my, my wife doesn't know who her dad is. And I mean, her, her family is awesome. I mean, they are my family too. And I mean, they're, they're phenomenal individuals, but life wasn't always easy for them um, growing up. And I, I mean, I think that was in the back of our minds without really saying it kind of a worry, like, well, well, how can we have a healthy family if we didn't really know what that looked like as kids? But it was easy to be able to say, well, you know what, though, we're kind of fortunate because we know what not to do now. Um, so a lot yeah. of it, sometimes it's kind of like the mental fortitude that you take into things. You know, we can, we can play the victim if we want to and continue to do that, like a lot of people are nowadays, even in the media too, to, to get ahead, or we can just kind of take that next stride with a little extra strength because of what we've been through. Um, so I think yeah. there's a little bit of different mental fortitude through that. Yeah, no, and I, I think you're, you're dead on with, you know, a lot of people assume that broken or non-conventional home life means that, you know, like your initial worry that, well, I don't know what a good one looks like other than like, obviously Hollywood, you know, but nobody (laughs) lives those, those fairy tales, you know, the Brady Bunch is a one in a million type of family. Um, Leave it to Beaver. Sure. 60 years ago, that may have been an ideal potential life, but you know, nowadays, especially with social media, the way society is, things like that. I think, and this may sound a little bit jaded or something, I don't know. I think that people that come from that type of background where you've seen the struggles, you know the the negatives, I think you almost have an advantage when it comes to starting your own family and building a, a yeah. new life. Because like you said, I know what I don't want to expose my kid to now. So that's easy and in the front of my mind at all times that like yeah you know hopefully you'll never have to go down this road i mean you're gonna have a kid so you're gonna get angry sometime but you know like the throwing things i know that i didn't like throwing things when i was growing up so i'm not (laughs) gonna throw stuff so you know things like that and i know that's it is funny and it's meant to be funny but like it's also a very serious note that yeah you can take just because you lived a broken life or whatever you can take those things and see how to pave the road ahead of you so that you don't go through that again yeah and that and you know and that works that same way for you know anybody listening who may be struggling with like like depression through like like relationships you know that maybe they've lost as well I mean that's that same thing there too is um you know I mean we all go through really difficult breakups, you know, at some point in time and, and a lot are a lot worse than others. But I mean, we can, we can take that same approach to, to lost relationships as well. And I don't just mean like, like with it, with, you know, somebody that you're dating, 
necessarily, but in anything, in, in your work, you know, in, in, like in your relationships at your place of employment and with your family and everything too, you know, we kind of get to learn, well, now, you know, you know, I, I didn't like that. That's now, now how do I search for something different than that in, in the next person or the next thing that I go on to do? Um, yeah. And that's, that's kind of a place that really took me to some of my really like darkest moments too, you know, like after my, like coming off of the high of like releasing the first album and having a lot of fun with that. Um, I really started to experience like a, like a really deep depression and, and a really like lack of quality of life in my job. And yeah. it was just a really unhealthy environment um, with, with my business partners at the time. And um, I really got to a point where I was, was so low that I, you know, I was, I was, I was contemplating suicide. And I, I mean, a, millions of people would have been happy to have been where I was, but in, in my mental state, that it's, it's where it took me. And um, it was just a, a bad environment for me, something that I had to, you know, kind of build the courage up to say, like, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I have to at least not be here um, and, and be ready to move on to the next thing. And that's kind of what, what struck forward for, um, the second album escape artist was really like a lot of the lyrics are kind of, you know, cause it's, yeah, it's a concept album, but it is once again, pretty semi autobiographical. And a lot of the first, um, two songs are really geared towards some of that experience that I was having, you know, and, and feeling, having feelings of, um, like in, in the song craftsman craftsmanship, I say, um, burden, I'm always a burden, burn it. You told me to burn it. And it just felt like that's, that's the place that I was in. It felt like all that I was, was a burden in my life. I couldn't do anything right. It didn't matter what it was. And even if I was trying to do the opposite of what I normally would have done, I couldn't, I couldn't seem to like reap that positivity back. And it just felt like I was just being told to just light everything on fire and just, and just leave it all behind. Um, and just, and just be done with it. Um, it was a really terrible place to be. Yeah. And, you know, I think, um, kind of within that, you know, like, I guess for me, Clouds as Mountains, I think I told you last time we talked is one of my favorite songs yeah. on that album, which is for people that haven't listened to it, it. It's a letter to listeners, basically, that, you know, you say in there, I believe the line is that pain is real, mm -hmm. you know, and I think it's important for people to to realize that it's something I talked to um, Sophie Powers about in the previous episode, where I think mental health gets written off so often because it's not visible in the standard right. or the traditional sense, you know, like somebody has a broken arm. I can see that I can acknowledge it and I know what's wrong. Somebody has a broken brain with depression, anxiety, whatever. I can't see that. So I don't know how to fix it or what to do to help is what a lot of people think. And I think, you know, just that reassurance that pain is real, like it's okay to have these feelings. It's okay to, to go through the things you go through, but at some point you also have to acknowledge that pain and figure out mm -hmm. how to fix those issues. And that's, I'm not sure if you picked up on this in there, but like, yeah, in the lyrics, like I, you know, it says pain is real and then real turns into an acronym um realize evaluate actualize and live like keep living you know like you do you have to kind of 
you have to accept what's going on at some point in time and kind of evaluate that and understand, okay, like, why did I get here? What can I do to move forward? Or, you know, what's really happening? And then solidify that and then make a plan and just keep walking forward um, instead of trying to stay there because that's more and more damning um, in that in that depressive state, you know, the longer that we stay there and we dwell on it, you know, like you were saying with the music, like there's a lot of things that we can do when we're in a state like that, that can exacerbate that and make that worse. Certainly. Um, but if we yeah. can find some tools from the right people along the way and, and make a change there, then we can continue to grow and maybe help that. I don't think, I don't think we'll ever be able to completely get rid of that. Um, but we can certainly help dampen the blows when they come later on. Yeah. And, you know, I just talked to a, a friend of mine about basically that, like I said to her, um, she's got, you know, a situation going on um, and I don't want to give away too many of her details or whatever, but basically she, she said she didn't understand why it was going on and um, that there was quote, no way to fix it. And I was like, well, you're right and you're wrong, right? Like, is it ever going to be a hundred percent fixed where this is never going to be a problem again? Probably not, you know, yeah. but you shouldn't live with that expectation either. Is it possible to fix it to the point where when these things bubble up that you know how to now navigate that? And like you said, lessen the blow of each one of those. Absolutely. You know, I've in my mental health journey have come so much further than I ever thought I really would, you know, like, yeah, I'm 36 years old now. And I'll be honest with you, man, I didn't think I was going to live past 25. Like yeah. it just wasn't in the cards for me. And here I am now. And it's like, I'm to the point now with my mental health. I still have bad days. You still have bad days. You know, that's part of <laughs> mental health. But <laughs> yeah. But at the same time, like, like I said, if you would have told me, even when I was 19 years old, hey, one day you're going to be talking to, to musicians about mental health and be this potentially positive, you know, role model for people, I would have laughed in your face. You know what I mean? Like, there's no yeah. way I would have ever believed that. And I think that's kind of where you're at, too, with, you know, we talked about at the beginning, um, that little bit of imposter syndrome that you went through with, yeah, why am I the one talking about this? Or, you know, why, why would people listen to me? And it's, because we've been through it, it's authentic. And I think right. that is more powerful than no offense to any doctors. Cause obviously it takes a shitload of time to become a therapist and all that. Right. But honestly, I, I truly believe that if your therapist has never struggled with mental health, they're probably not a very good therapist. I agree with you. And that's something that I actually just recently had the unfortunate, um, chance of experiencing myself. I, uh, I'm still like from my second DUI that I got in 2017. So I've been sober now for four and a half years. Um, and I'm still fighting to get my license back. And like, I've went to the secretary of state, they denied me and they lied. They said that I had three and a half years at the time of sobriety. And they lied and said that I, that my three and a half years was insurmountable to prior times of sobriety, which was documented as no time. Um, so they lied. So I had to pay $3,500 yeah. to hire an attorney to um, appeal this in the, in the circuit courts here in Kalamazoo. And um, we went there to go get this done. And they, 
I tied the judge for it. Like they, that there was a, they assigned a prosecutor to it as well. Like as if, as if I was actually getting a charge for it. And the judge said, you know, well, like, I see both sides. Like I see where you're a risk, but I see what you're saying too. You know, I, I don't think that you're really a danger of going back to use, but statistics show us a little different. So for six more months, keep the interlock system. It's like a blow and go thing in my car. Yeah. So I have to blow in every once in a while while I'm still in it and to start it. And, uh, he said, come back, see me in six months and I'll give it back to you. Well, the attorney general decided to show up at this hearing and told the judge that basically that he was an idiot and he didn't have jurisdiction to keep the case and, uh, and said they want it back. So I had to go through drug testing again. I had to get letters submitted again, remake copies of everything I've done throughout my sobriety. And in that, I had to have a substance abuse evaluation done. And it was... I think $750 for it. Um, luckily, I, I was fortunate enough to have my attorney cover it with the fees that, that I'd already paid and they recommended somebody for me to go to that they work with all the time. And yeah. this, ge this gentleman and I had a, just like we did today, we had a Zoom meeting set up to, to have this done because we still couldn't, couldn't be in the office because of COVID. And this guy was not prepared he was trying to do it on his phone. It was cutting in and out the whole time. We had to move to just doing it like over instead of video, doing it like actually speaking on the phone. And then his phone was about to die halfway through. So he, he said, okay, well, let me plug in my computer. 10 minutes, we'll cop on there. We get done with this whole thing. It takes like two and a half hours when it should have taken like 45 minutes to an hour. Right. And uh, he, at the very end, he goes, well, Mr. Brittingham, um, so everything that we've gone over today, I would say that you're a good, you're a good candidate to get your license back, but not a great candidate. And he said, so let me tell you why he said, I would be willing to, in, in my report, bump you up to being a great candidate, um, to get your license back. If you'd be willing to have a couple therapy sessions with someone other than your regular therapist who I've been meeting with now for the past four and a half years. Um, yeah, and, but why? <laughs> so, well, let me tell you why, why I think um, is because I think a lot of people in that situation are not, they're doing like um, AA or different programs for addiction, yeah. where for me, it's more about focusing on my mental health. Like alcohol is just not a, a part of my wheelhouse. I don't even have to think about not having a drink. It's just not a part of who I am. Yeah. It, you know, it was just the realization that I was a shitty person with alcohol. Um, and I, and I literally have no control over it. And uh, it was a ploy. You know, the idea would have been if I'm sure hundreds of other people this guy talks to, they go, well, sir, who would you, I would love to do that. If that's what it would take, who would you recommend? And then he gets to say, well, you could do it with me yeah. so that he gets more money. And this guy, this guy couldn't have been too much older than I am. I mean, I just turned 30 this year. He's got to, he's got to be close in age. And it did. It made me really think, I was like, who what makes you so qualified to make that decision? Yeah. And also you're a business too. So the money means something to you, but what did you struggle with addiction? You know, I'm fighting with these things, you know, through this four and a half years with people that almost surely these judges and these people at the secretary of state and stuff like that. I mean, it makes you want to ask them when you get done with these hearings to be able to say like, Hey, just out of curiosity, when's the last time that like you had a drink at, at like dinner and then you still got behind the wheel, whether it was one or 10. Was it last night? Right. You know, and it's like, what makes these yeah. people qualified to make these decisions? And 
and I do, I think that we have certainly a, a, a lack of that in, in our communities where sometimes the same thing as our doctors, like how we're talking about, like with fitness, sometimes we look at, we're at our doctors and, yeah. and we're like, should you be tell, like giving me advice on that? <laughs> like, I'm not sure that like, yeah. that's really your expertise, you know? And, and I think it's the same thing in, in mental health, um, in, in that community as well, there is that, you know, at least professionally, there's a lot of individuals out there that, that are potentially giving advice that maybe they shouldn't be giving. And maybe they're not really qualified to because they don't have a story to share. Sometimes I think when it comes to mental health, certainly there are some people that, that can benefit from, and a lot of people that can benefit from like medications and, and stuff like that, um, you know, or like institutions, depending on what's going on. But, you know, sometimes a lot of people can just benefit from hearing these types of conversations and hearing somebody else's story and relating to it, you know, and, yeah. and that's what happened to me in my experience with AA the first day that I went there. And I think this is the same way at, at every alcohol alcoholic anonymous's um, meeting when somebody goes for their first time, they don't do book work, they, um, everybody goes around and they share their story. And then they'll ask yeah. you if you want to share and you don't have to if you don't want to. Um, and I mean, my, my outlook of alcoholism before was always that like, oh, well, it must be people that are like physically addicted, you know, like they wake up in the morning and they're like, oh, I just can't get the day started without that Bailey's in my coffee, you know, right. and that wasn't me. And I was like, well, I don't want to mess up somebody's program. You know, like I just, I just like to party, you know, and I was like, that's mm -hmm. not, you know, I'll quit one day, you know, um, before it kills me. And that's not what I heard. Not even from one out of the 30 to 40 people that were in that room. Everybody was binge drinkers. They were, they have that first drink, it's drink everything in sight and turn the lights up, turn the music up and party hard, you know? And, yeah. and, and I got to learn that through other people's experiences. There, there wasn't, you know, I, I had been through substance abuse counseling before and I never, ever once heard a single thing like that. All that that substance abuse counseling had done for me before was piss me off feel like it was a waste of my time because I wasn't learning anything and I just went right back to it I didn't even skip a beat you know yeah. um so I think that that's you know like we've said that's that's a huge thing is you know people people being able to hear these conversations and keeping the conversation going you know us sharing our stories and not being afraid to do so that makes us heroes in the long run you know and then that in turn allows these other individuals that get to heal from that they can be a hero down the line too and then reap those rewards again um, like I said earlier, it's so much about, you know, for me about sharing my story is about having that extra accountability too. every single one of my members. Um, so like 600 members know that I'm an alcoholic. If they were to see me out in town with a beer, what in the fuck would happen? You know, yeah. what an insane thing that that would be. And then same thing, like where, where we live is the, the old club that I used to co-own and same thing, 600 members there. Like, what would they think, you know, if they saw that? And one of my best friends, it's really funny. He, uh, whenever we go out to dinner and stuff like that, you know, the waiters or waitresses will go around the table and ask everybody what they want to drink. And, and they'll, they, they always seem to get to me last and everybody else gets, gets a drink, um, with alcohol. And yeah. they'll be like, and, and sir, what do you want? And my friend's always next to me and he will butt in. He'll, it, one time it was an accident and it's just stuck since like it just came yeah. out and we were all like shocked he was like he was like oh no he has a problem um and <laughs> it just came and we were all like like jaws dropped to the ground yeah. and we were like Corey I was like awesome I was like let's keep that going I was like let's yeah. keep that up because that keeps me accountable 
Like, and I don't think that, you know, sometimes that's what it takes. It, it takes allowing ourselves to put ourselves in a situation in which we can be held accountable. And if we don't share yeah. our stories with people that can do that, then how do they know how to help? You know, it's, it's, this is not, you know, mental health or addiction. It's not something that often you can push on other people to make them get the help for it. They have to be ready for it on their own. And I think that, you know, if I had any advice to anybody listening, you know, that's struggling, that that would be the biggest thing. Share your story and what you're struggling with with somebody else. They are probably struggling with something similar too. And you may be able to get ideas from each other and understand how to better tackle those issues for yourself moving forward, as opposed to just hiding in them and thinking, no, you know, I don't want to impede on somebody else's program, or maybe my issue is not quite big enough. It doesn't matter how big it is, you know, you know, whether it seems small or whether it seems big to you, it's huge, no matter what, if it's affecting your quality of life. And if you are, if you're experiencing depression or, or thoughts of suicide or anything like that, it's something that we should, we should definitely talk about and at least see what happens. What's the harm. You know, the, yeah. the, the, wor the worst thing that can happen is we spent five minutes talking about it. Right. And, you know, you do a lot of work with To Write Love on Our Arms, which is an amazing organization. I've done a lot of work with them in the past. Yeah. Um, and then over the last year, year and a half, um, I've been doing a lot of work with Heart Support, which was founded by Jake Lurz of August Burns yeah. Red. And, yep. you know, to, to your point, you know, for, for any listener that's going through any struggles, opening up about it really does help um, to get it out there and, and verbalize it and all that. And, you know, if you're not comfortable going to your friends or family, Heart Support has this incredible feature on their, their site called the Heart Support Wall. And it's this open, anonymous forum. Anybody can jump on, post their story. And I shit you not, usually within minutes, somebody's replying like, hey, I've been there, man. This is, you know, this is what helped me or whatever. And it's such an incredibly powerful tool to receive that encouragement and, additional perspectives to say, you know, like, I've, I've never once seen a post on there that somebody came in and was like, well, that's stupid to feel that way, blah, 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 and like put anybody down. Yeah, the, the mental health community. It, it's always funny, you know, like, I grew up hardcore, pop punk, you know, that that realm for my, uh, my music, love, uh, you yeah. know, all that. And people just assume like, oh, there's, those people are assholes or, you know, especially like the hardcore scene, right? Like, right. <laughs> I, I went to every time I die shows and people are like, yeah, no, that there's nobody there gets along. And it's like, actually, these are some of the most welcoming, inviting people that I've ever met in my fucking life. Yeah. Because we all know that like we've been through shit and we just want to release. Right. And I think that's the important thing is, you know, understanding that putting it out there and again, I struggle with it sometimes. I'm sure you do. You talked about, you know, that feeling of being a burden. I've been there, you know, like, hey, I've got something to unload and I'll t I've got a support circle that I use and I'll send a text out to, to one of them or a couple of them and be like, hey, not to be a burden. And it's gotten to the point now, like we're all so comfortable talking to each other. If I say, sorry to be a burden, immediately the text i know what text is coming back and it's shut the fuck up you're not a burden tell us what's yeah. going on because it's not a burden to want to be healthy yeah absolutely and you know what i tell you i tell you what exactly what you just said right there is so cool and anybody who's listening to this that that doesn't have people like that 
find those fucking people as fast as you can and love them to death. I mean, that is one of the coolest things to be able to have, you know, like friends like yours and friends like mine that, that are able to be supportive and are able to, you know, love you unconditionally. Right. You know I mean? Like, like my childhood, you know what I mean? Like, sure. You, you don't, you don't always get to pick the people that, that you're raised by or that, that are your brothers and sisters. And I mean, I do, I still love mine to death. Of course. I I don't want to leave that unsaid, but, um, but you do get to pick your friends and your family. You know, I mean, my, my friends here, I'm, I'm in Michigan. I don't have not one single family here, you know, and, um, I think with, with a son on the way, I become maybe a little bit more and more emotional about that as time goes on. And like, we sent out like text to all of our friends, letting them know, like when our baby shower was going to be and stuff. And, you know, I prefaced it and said to my friends, like, I was just like, cause we've lost a lot of friends over the past couple of years, just to, to various things and, and not necessarily them losing their lives either. We just have lost them in our lives. And unfortunately it was what had to be best for us and best hopefully best for them in the long run too and and I think they still know that we're always here for them when they're ready but it became a part where we couldn't help them anymore you know and and we couldn't be those people to push them and I sent this message to my friends and I said you better fucking be there because you guys are the only family I've got so yeah because with COVID and everything my family's not coming up here from Michigan or from Maryland sorry Um, right for the baby shower, you know? So it, it was just something, you know, where, yeah, like when you have people like that in your life where you can just be candid with and honest and they're going to love you back no matter what. I mean, there's nothing more healing than that. You know, I mean, even if those people don't have, even if they don't have advice to give and like a lot of my friends, they haven't experienced necessarily the same mental health issues that I have. Um, even a lot of our common interests are not the same, you know I mean? Like the music that I like, my friends do not like, like, (laughs) Um, so there's not a lot of stuff for us to always connect on, but the one thing that's always there is just like that brotherly love that we have for each other. Um, so, I mean, I, I always hung to this lyric from we came as Romans and and I hope I'm not butchering it, but I believe it was for, we are nothing without brotherhood and we're, and brotherhood is nothing without, without your brothers. Um, and that was something that I always hung to and I think kind of helped me grow like you were talking about you know I mean like the music that we like is not always necessarily the most uplifting but there's something to grow from it and to learn from something somewhere in there um you know I even had um I won't mention her name obviously um but I had a girl reach out to me this was a really cool thing to have happen um I had a girl reach out through social media to me and she asked if she could get the lyrics from restitution um as a tattoo and I was like yeah absolutely you can I was like thanks for asking for permission like I I didn't ever even expect somebody to ask for permission you know let alone I mean even even get a tattoo of of the lyrics um and she got it um two months ago now and she just messaged me the other day and on Facebook and said hey you know happy father's day she was like thank you so much you know for for your music. And she was like, you know, you, you, you and your wife are going to do awesome. And she was kind of given some advice and the, the best parenting advice that I've heard so far, because everybody else's stuff is like, you're going to want to get these type of diapers, da, da, da. you know, and it's like yeah. pe- people that I wouldn't even let them like dogs <laughs> it for me. Um, and she, she said, don't let other people bring you down or tell you ever tell you that you're not parenting right. Um, and she shared that she ended up having a, a lot of people tear her down 
for some of her parenting methods and stuff. And that it really, she had a lot of um, like parent, like parenting guilt because of it for years. Yeah. And she felt like she really missed out on a lot of time, you know, time better spent with her kids um, because of it. And she was able to, she said that the song kind of helped dig her out of that hole and have a new fresh perspective on what to do moving forward. Um, I couldn't be more thankful for that. I mean, that's, that's unbelievable. You know, I mean, it, you know, it's something certainly that gets to help me heal while, while I'm writing it and sharing it as well. But I mean, I couldn't have been happier to have heard that. And especially to be from somebody who, who got a completely different perspective from it than what I was even meaning. Yeah. I'm not a parent yet. She is. And that's what she got out of it. Like, that's really fucking cool. Um, And that's where, you know, people, people need to, you know, realize like, it, it doesn't matter if it's country or if it's pop or if it's metalcore or whatever, death metal, whatever it is. I mean, if there's something that, that means something to you out of it, then hold on to that and do something positive with it and allow that to happen. You know, we shouldn't have to feel regretful for enjoying something or allowing ourselves to grow. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, stepping back a little bit with, you know, you said, if you don't have those, those friends, that support circle in your, your life that you need to find it. I think it's important for people to know, like, it does not just have to be people that you know, quote unquote, in real life. Like, if you are an avid gamer and you have friends that you play Call of Duty with or whatever, if they're going to be there for you, that's all that fucking matters. Exactly. Like, it, it doesn't matter. I, I still talk to this dude that I met on fucking World of Warcraft, like, <laughs> nine years ago. And, you know, like to this day we're not like super close but i know for a fact if i reached out and was like hey man this is what's up i know for a fact he's going to get back to me and tell me his perspective or whatever and you know it's i think especially for the youth parents write off that oh it's just an online friend's not a real friend because that's not how they grew up right and to me i don't give a shit whether it's through an Xbox game, Instagram, whatever, like if you've made a connection with someone and you guys can, can talk and relate and support each other, that's the goal, period. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think as a society, like one way that we could help, you know, others grow and and be able to stay healthy mentally would be to be more tolerable like maybe even through just asking more questions and digging a little deeper with people, if they have an interest in something that we don't fully understand, you know, instead of just writing it off, you know, like, like my experience, you know, living with the pastor's family, like, I mean, even playing, you know, post-hardcore metalcore music. I mean, like the lyrics were as Christian as they could get so that I could yeah. be in this band. I mean, like the, like the lyrics were even talking about like, breaking the devil's neck with the bible like it was like ridiculous the kind of shit that we wrote and i mean like i remember um the mother of the family saying there's no way that this could possibly ever be christian with the way that they're singing this and i was like you're wrong i mean like you like you looked at bands like haste today and and stuff like that and you know norma jean and things i mean like they couldn't have been more based in in their faith at the time no matter where they're where they may be at now um with those things but you know there was just a complete intolerance there of and there was no like well why like why do you enjoy it or could you tell me more 
you know, and I think that a lot of times in society right now, we miss those follow-up questions with people. We, we make snap, snap judgments and assessments of other people and, and write them off really quickly because maybe we don't enjoy something, but maybe we're missing out on that opportunity to enjoy it too, if we could understand why somebody else loved it too. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, tying it into to music specifically is like you said, like if you make a connection with it, then that's all that matters. You know, like I'm a huge Bayside fan. Anthony yeah. used to write some really dark shit, you know, a synonym for acquiesce. He literally says, take a uh, razor, sign your name across my wrist so that people will know who left me like this. Like that's fucked up. Right. But at the same time, like when I listened to it back in the day, like I took it in that literal sense of, you know what, like you fucked me up. You might as well kill me. But now, like, as I've grown and as Anthony's grown, like, looking back, I'm like, you know, even if that's what he meant at the time, like, I think you can take a note from it and say, like, I just need someone to understand that this event, like, take somebody's name out of it. This event is what impacted me and made me who I am. So, you know, whether that's trauma or a positive thing, it's not, it's not shameful to, to put a name to it or to kind of quote unquote brand it on yourself to some degree, right? This is something I went through. I'm still here, you know, like I've been through some pretty dark shit. You've been through some pretty dark shit. We're still here. We're still able to tell our stories. And, you know, like you just said, you've obviously impacted at least one person. I'll tell you it's two, because I really dig your music (laughs) and it's impacted me. Um, Thank you. But, you know, like that, that's all ultimately the goal, right? Like, I think we said this on the, the podcast before when, when we talked where, you know, ultimately, yeah, we want to make money doing what we love. We're in a capitalist country. We have to want to make money. Right. But at the same time, like, my realistic goal with this podcast, with the other podcast, with my life in general, is to positively impact someone so that they don't have to go through the shit that I went through. Exactly. And I tell you what, I mean, how you say that, like, about, you know, essentially needing money in order to live, you know what I mean? Like in in this country, especially like we, the more you do something that you're passionate about, and where and and if you are helping people, the the reward comes back tenfold. It definitely does, you know, and it's not something, you know, like you're saying, like, I mean, I'm not making any money off of the music you know what i mean and and what i what i do make off of it i give to charity you know it, like i i have a regular job to support myself you know we have a business to right. support ourselves and i still use that to help other people you know and it's and for me that's where like my quality of life has got to be there i've got to be helping people or else i yeah. i can't feel fulfilled it, you know i couldn't just work like a, a nine to five and be able to be out and go golfing or do whatever like that's not where the happiness is for me like i need to be able to I need to be able to be bubbly and have fun and, and kooky, you know, throughout the, my entire day in order to be happy yeah. while I'm at home too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the society that we live in, uh, and regardless of what country you're listening to the podcast from, like the society we live in across the globe really uh, dictates that, you know, money, the more money you have, the more successful you are, the more happy you are. And that's just not fucking true. Um, right. You know, like, I've 
I personally came across homeless people when I'm going to a concert that are some of the nicest, most upbeat people that I've ever fucking met in my life. Yeah. And they don't, they don't have anything, you know? Uh, they have what they have. And I think it comes back to like what you're saying is obviously not all of them, but not all of the successful people are doing this either. But, you know, I think a lot of homeless people, if you look like homeless communities take care of each other, there's mm -hmm. a reward in that of itself. They don't need the money at that point because they're fulfilled through positive energy um, and, you know, reaping kind of what they sow in that together they're getting through life. And ultimately, that's the goal is that we're going to get through life together. No yeah. one person, you know, theoretically, at the end of days, there's not going to be one person left on this fucking planet. It, we're all done at the end of days. Right. Yep. I agree with you. So, yeah, I think making that positive impact can be really positive internally for for everybody, too. You know, I think that that's something. If you haven't tried it, try it. <laughs> at least <laughs> at least try it once. If it's not and, for you, then 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 maybe give it a second try. I don't know. But. Um, it definitely, definitely gives me a lot of, you know, additional positive quality of life, being able to, you know, it helps me sleep better at night, knowing that, you know, what I did throughout the day was to, to benefit other people, not to sell them some new car that maybe they couldn't even afford to get into in the first place. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, what I want people to understand about the statement there that, you know, try it because honestly, I know for me, especially like it doesn't take much, right? Like I, I said to, to Sophie on our conversation, like most people that are suffering from mental illness or mental health battles just want reassurance. They want someone that's going to be there that says, Hey, everything's going to be all right. You know, we're going to get through this or, you know, something to just, you're not a burden, come hang out, like whatever those little things, it costs zero dollars to, to positively impact somebody's life. Right. Exactly. And I mean, sometimes too, like I always think back to this story and I wonder if you've heard this before, cause I don't have any idea where I heard this. Um, I, I swear the story was something like, um, you know, the, the positive message behind it is to let people know, like it, like even just one positive interaction with, with someone throughout a day could, could protect them, you know, and, and help them yeah. continue to move forward. And I think the story was something like there was somebody that was going through like a grocery store line and the, um, the cashier was like, how, you know, how are you today? And the person was like terrible. And they were like, Oh, good to hear. And they just kept like beeping their stuff through. Right. And then, you know what I mean? And then that person, like what in the world, you know? And then there was a story where I think like that happened to an individual, but the opposite way, like this person was pretty decided that they were going to kill themselves and like after they were done with this interaction they got there and they said terrible and the person was like what's going on you know like yeah. like tell me tell me more you know and they got to get it off their chest and then they decided not to take their own life because of it and sometimes it can just be that small of an interaction it doesn't have to be you know this in-depth you know i've got this huge story to share with you like like we're like we're able to do um, but it, sometimes it can just be, you know, how are you today? Well, tell me more about that. 
you know, and, and digging a little bit deeper and allowing somebody that their the platform in that moment to be able to express themselves because it could make all the difference. Um, I think that's so important. It's just even in the smallest interactions that we have with people sometimes make the biggest impact on their day. Yeah, there, were, there was one that popped up on my Facebook uh, yesterday or day before. Uh, we'll do the Cliff Notes version. But basically, it's that same type of story, but it's like from high school. Um, this kid, this new kid's walking home and this group of jocks, bullies, whatever, come and knock all the books out of his hands. And he's got like every book that he has for school with him. And this kid sees it happen. Like they knock his glasses off of him, everything. Kid sees it happen, crosses the street, like helps him pick up his books, gets him his glasses thanks him like walks him home and is just talking to him and was like hey you know me and the buddies are going to play football later like you want to come and all that and the kid's like yeah whatever so then fast forward you know four years uh that kid that got the books knocked out of his hand ends up being the valedictorian and he's getting ready to give his speech and he gives the speech that what had actually happened that day was he cleaned out his locker because he was going to kill himself that night. Oh my and gosh. he didn't want yeah. his mom to have to go clean out his locker. Mm. But he decided not to because this dude helped him mm -hmm. pick up his glasses, invited him into his friend group. And like they were, they were friends all through high school. And, you know, it's like you're saying, those little things. Somebody has something bad or sad happen to them. It just takes one person to help them stand back up and right. change the whole path of their life. Yeah, it really does. That's that's a great story. Gosh, I, now that you're saying that, I feel like I have read that too. Um, if I find that's such again, a phenomenal thing, if we could all look at, you know what I mean? And that's a really difficult thing to do when we're feeling like we're already down as well. But right. if we can try to take that mindset into it, instead of like dragging other people down to, you know, then that positivity will come back also. You know, I mean, I think that not everybody's going to always have that availability or that mindset, but if we can all think with the intention to do that, I think the world is going to be a little warmer for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's everything for today, Andrew. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we've had quite the conversation and I, I love talking to you, man. Like, I think you and I obviously view a lot of things very similar, so that's always nice. But I think the big thing that I want people to take away from, from our conversation is what we just talked about. Like those little quote unquote random acts of kindness yeah. can impact someone so hugely and change that perspective. And I think, you know, sometimes that little random act of kindness is just telling someone that they're not alone. When they start sharing their story, share your story. Like, you know, I know for me, when I was making the decision that mental health is going to be something that I, I push towards and that I want to change that, that view and perception of, um, you know, I, those first few conversations, the, I'll be honest, the first probably hundred conversations were super fucking uncomfortable, like, because you don't <laughs> yeah. know how people are going to react. And, you know, so you're sitting there and you're like, well, I want to say this, but if I say this, are they going to, what are they going to do? You know, whatever. And at the end of the day, I found more often than not, even though it was an uncomfortable conversation, people could relate to it and go, man, I've been there. You know, like I, yeah. I've had shitty days or, you know, shitty relationships or whatever. 
and immediately you start to feel that that burden being lifted a little bit and go fuck so i'm not alone like all right well if me and him have felt this who else has felt this like how far does this go yeah yeah i think to your point too i think it's everybody you know i mean i think yeah. that <laughs> like we should live under the assumption that everybody's got some of it you know what i mean I, I, you know what maybe not to the greatest extent as some others, you know, the same way that like my, my strife certainly, you know, in my life has probably not even touched some of the individuals, you know, experiences who are going to listen to this today. Um, you know, but I mean, I think if we can all live under the assumption that, that, you know, a little bit of positivity could help anybody, then it'll go a long way. Yeah, I, I would challenge and say that if you have someone in your life that claims they have either themselves never experienced a mental health issue or that no one around them has experienced a mental health issue, they're in major fucking denial and they have not really evaluated life. Yeah, and they may be uncomfortable to speak about it too, right? right. You know, it, it may be one of those things where once again, you know, a follow-up question or digging a little bit deeper, or just allowing somebody, you know, a comfortable environment to talk about it will allow them to get that out. You know, I mean, I definitely think no, once again, you know, that scale of, you know, that scale of what we may, may have experienced can, can be different all across the board. But if we remember, like, you know, if, if that's the extent of what somebody has experienced, and that could be their worst, you know what I mean? No matter if it's, yeah. if it's even a tenth of as bad as what you think yours was, it could still be their worst day. Um, so if we allow them that opportunity and, and actively listen with people and engage, then it can make a huge difference. Yeah. Uh, last two little stats I'll give from, from NAMI, um, since we just brought that up about, you know, kind of how deep that impact really is. Uh, yeah. A according to NAMI, one in five U.S. adults currently experiences mental illness, and one in 20 U.S. adults have experienced a serious mental illness in their lifetime. Wow. So, you know, to, to put that in perspective, like, to hear those numbers, I think for listeners and even for you and I, I think it really kind of opens your eyes to go, that's a much smaller net than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people assume that maybe it's one in 50 or, you know, whatever. So maybe my circle is not big enough to have somebody that relates to me. One in five, if you have five friends or five people that are in your family, somebody else has, has felt it too. Yeah, for sure. I would say I've got 10 friends and at least, at least 70% of us have really, really struggled. <laughs> so, <Right>. um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a pretty wild statistic. You know, like you were, like we said earlier too, like it, it is, I mean, those are damning statistics, but at the same time, like I, like it, some, there's some more hidden people out there. I would think, you know what I mean? Like if we had like full transparency and knew everything about everybody, that number would still be even even bigger, it would be more of a percentage of, of a population that that struggles at least at one point in time in their life. So yeah, yeah, I would totally agree. And I think, you know, that I think is a, a good area for us to kind of leave it for people to kind of reflect on everything we've talked about today. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, I first, you know, like I said earlier, I know we've kind of known each other, quote unquote, for about a year or whatever. But truly, like, I, I feel like, and hopefully it's reciprocated. If not, you can tell me. 
But I, I truly feel like if, you know, if you reached out to me, I know for a fact that I'm going to get back to you and be like, dude, what's up? You know, whatever. Like, even after my COVID battle, like, you yeah. were immediately there. Dude, what the fuck happened? Like, what's going on? And I think, you know, that just goes to show that we we really only interacted one time before that. And that was the podcast, yeah. you know? and that connection's already there. And I think people need to understand while a lifetime to build, a lot of lifetime long friendships are built in a single moment. Absolutely. 100%. I agree. And to, to throw this in there, it's absolutely reciprocated. So I am, I would definitely be there for you in a heartbeat. So <laughs> I do, I feel like that is the cool thing. We've been able to grow a really cool relationship over just a really minimal amount of time spending with each other, you know, and, and, and I love it. I couldn't be more appreciative of you, man. Yeah. I appreciate you too, man. And, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the project boy becomes hero. People need to listen to, even if you're not like super into heavy music or strings or whatever, like give it a chance, read the lyrics at bare minimum, because, you know, you're going to get so much impact out of that as well, where you're going to make those connections even if, like I said, you know, it's not for everybody. We've said that before that, you know, screaming music's not for everybody. It's <laughs> yeah. okay. But at the same time, like lyrically, you can still make connections with music that you don't listen to. So take that into consideration. You know, I definitely want people to check you out. Um, obviously, I'm going to link all your socials and stuff. But for the last you cool. know, couple minutes, however long it takes you. Tell people where, where to find you, kind of just what the what the journey for you looks like from here on. Yeah. So I mean, you can I mean you can find me at any of the links that you're gonna share. Everything is pretty much whatever it is, slash boy becomes hero. I was able to grab everything. Um and I mean the next steps <laughs> kind of look like um me figuring out what life has in store for me next, getting this baby boy here and uh starting our family, you know, and yeah and learning what, what can that be for my music moving forward too? you know, um, it's definitely not something that I, that I, that I plan to plan to slow down. Um, but like Garrett and I right now are both pretty busy. So like some of the, the things that we felt like we had coming for everybody have kind of slowed down a little bit, um, might be taking a little bit more time, but it gives us a little bit more time to put some more appreciation into it too. Um, I've got a lot of material to work with, um, potentially another band that I might be starting and playing with as well to be able to take on a little bit more of a, a, of a live atmosphere um, as opposed to just kind of like the yeah. concept and, and like digital realm, um, which is exciting as well to think about moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's certainly not stopping, that's for sure. So I, I don't want it to sound like that at all, but there'll, yeah. there'll be more coming. There's a lot on the way for sure. Um, and a deluxe version of the last album to, to be coming at some point. I'm just trying to still decide everything's all done for it. Just trying to decide the right time to release it. So um, once we get to it, yeah. it'll be there. Yeah, no, and I, I think that's super cool. And, you know, like I said before the the episode really started, like I'm so stoked for you to, to have a kid, you know, like I I don't have any kids, but I really believe like, through the conversations we've had and whatnot, you're going to be an awesome dad. Um, and, Thank you know, you. just so stoked for you and the recovery that you've had, you know, four and a half years of, of sobriety is like, 
fucking insane, especially by today's standards. Like, super proud of you, dude. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, to talk about the fatherhood thing, maybe one day we'll have uh, my boy becoming the hero. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see yeah. what happens. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe little dude will want to pick up the microphone or pick up an instrument. So I'm, I'm certainly excited for that down the road too. Like, what could this turn into with our family too? So, um, yeah, and and you know, even if it doesn't, like, who cares? You know, like, right? Healthy and happy. <laughs> that's all that matters. Like, we'll, exactly. we'll deal with everything else. You got it. Awesome, man. I appreciate your time so much. I'll definitely be in touch with you. Um, cool. And yeah. yeah, looking forward to everything, bro. Awesome. Thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that was my conversation with Andrew Brittingham. Um, I think Andrew brings an awesome perspective to this conversation, especially about the manic side of mental health. Um, huge thank you to him again for taking the time to do this podcast, being open and honest about everything, um, being very transparent with his story. And, you know, again, I want to congratulate him. I did it there towards the end of the episode, but, um, he is over five, over four years, almost five years sober now. So, uh, huge shout out to him for that because, we all know that that can be an incredible battle. Um, really looking forward to what's in the future for him and, you know, definitely continuing to have conversations with him as things progress. Um, you know, we, again, share a lot of the same views and um, have a, a really solid foundational friendship here that um, I think is something that comes out of these types of conversations, right? So, you know, when I first interviewed Andrew, I had no illusions that I was trying to make a friend or that just because I get to interview bands that I'm going to be friends with them or anything like that. But there definitely are a few artists. Um, and I want it to be clear that that's not my intention at all. But there are a few artists slash people, because at the end of the day, that's all they are as human beings, um, that we have formed friendships and it's a cool thing. And, you know, I don't brag about it or anything like that, because that's not the point of any of this. The point of especially this podcast is to have that real honest conversation and let people know that they're not alone, that these battles are not something new or that they're going through by themselves or that, you know, someone else hasn't been through something similar. You know, your story is unique to you because the things that happen to you can only happen to you. But there are so many other people that have experienced something similar um, and it's important that we look for those similar similarities because through that is where our connection is. And once we have connection, we have support. And once we have support, we have healing. And I really want everyone that listens to any of my episodes to take that away, that this is about connecting people to people and, I hope that everyone finds someone 
that can relate or that can understand with their story and begin the process of that connection and support and healing. Um, if you'd like to know more about Andrew's musical project, Boy Becomes Hero, jump over to the You Make the Scene podcast and on episode number 47, um, I had about an hour-long conversation with him strictly about his music, his new album at that time, um, the connection he has with to write love on her arms and things like that. Um, it's another awesome conversation. So definitely think you guys need to go check that out. Um, and yeah, that's everything I've got for you guys this week. Um, you know, as I said at the beginning of, of this episode, and as I say with every new episode, we are not mental health professionals. We are not licensed therapists or counselors. We are just human beings that have experienced mental health traumas and situations and want to shed light and give our perspective on these things so that hopefully someone somewhere can hear these stories and apply it to their life in a positive way. Um, and again, as always, there are tons of mental health resources out there. Um, a few of them that I'm a big fan of and definitely want you to check out is Heart Support, which was founded by Jake Lurz of August Burns Red. They have the Heart Support Wall as well, which is a anonymous forum that you can go on and receive support and encouragement and advice. Um, you can tell your story completely anonymously, and there's no judgment there. So, you know, it's a, a way to still safeguard yourself if you're not really ready to open up completely about your story, but you kind of want to start the process. That's a, a great opportunity and resource for you. Um, to write Love on Our Arms, you know, they've been around a long time, and Andrew partners with them. Um, I think they do incredible work, and, and I'm happy to support them as well. Um, Crisis Text Line, if you're in crisis and need assistance, is an amazing resource. If you're not comfortable talking on the phone or it's not safe to talk on the phone, if you're in a house that, you know, maybe parents are listening or something like that, you know, that gives you an opportunity to still have those conversations without being vocal about it. Um, Hope for the Day is another amazing organization built in the music community and definitely think that they're a great resource for a lot of people as well. Uh, a lot of bands partner with them. And then obviously the last two are going to be the Suicide Hotline. If you're in crisis, please do not hesitate to call that. Um, get the support that you need. And then if you're attempting to do research or want more information about mental health numbers and, and research being done in that arena, uh, NAMI, N-A-M-I dot org is a fantastic resource, especially for anyone in the U.S. Um, that's everything, guys. I, this is a super long episode. I'm sorry, but I'm also happy because these conversations are organic and I'm not trying to restrict them down. So hopefully you guys have made it this far. Would love to hear your feedback. Uh, 
I know Andrew would also love to hear your feedback. So go give him a, a follow on Instagram. I'll have his social medias in the description of the podcast as well. But go give him a follow, leave a comment, just tell him, you know, thank you or whatever. Uh, if if there was anything that you took away from our episode or our conversation, let us know. Um, and that's it. So I'm going to take you out the same way that I always take you out. And that is simply with the, remember guys, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and you make the scene.